stand for the word of God in reverence today. I'm excited for this word this morning. I thought I knew what I was going to preach about, and then the Lord just flipped it on me as I read a verse. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. That's 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. What the Word of God says, it says, About this time next year, Elijah said, You will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord. She objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elijah had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was in the reapers. He said, my head, my head. He said to his father, his father told his servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. And then died. She went up. She laid him on the bed of the man of God. Notice where she laid it. She laid it on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door and she went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and the donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and I'll return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon, it's not the Sabbath. And notice what she said. She says, it's all right. It's all right. Come on, say that with me. It's all right. Why don't you hit your neighbor right now? Hey, it's all right. It's all right. Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves it's going to be all right. Let's pray. Father, why do you take things away from us? We love. Why do you cause pain? Why do you confuse us? Why are you so unfair? Give us that answer today in Jesus' name. Amen. I know it's not a typical church prayer, but it's from the heart. You guys can have a seat as we, as we preach this word today. It's a weird title. I've never titled a sermon so different. But in the end, I promise it's going to make sense. Can I give you the title today? Say, ready. ready. The two always comes before the four. You guys know how to count? Does two always come before four? All right, so the two before the four. This woman 
All she ever wanted. She was a great woman. She served her husband. She kept a great home. She loved God. She served the man of God. She was a great friend to Elijah. She made a room for him. She fed him. She took care of him. She was a servant. She served others. She was selfless. And one day Elijah was wondering and thinking about her. And he said to himself, I wonder if she has any desires. I wonder if she has any dreams. I'm wondering if this woman is missing something in her life that she wants. And she She asked and she's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want anything. I have everything I've ever wanted. I have a good house. I have a good husband. I have everything. I'm fine. I'm okay. Don't worry about it. But Elijah didn't believe her. So Elijah goes to her servants and says, hey, um, what does she want? There's something missing in her life. See, I want to ask you today, is there something missing in your life? Is there something that you're grateful for? You're thankful for? Yeah, you have a job. You have a family. You got, you have everything together. But what's that one thing you're saying? I really want God to do this for me. He asked the servants, hey, what does she want? And the servant says, well, the, the truth is, She's always wanted a child, but she can't. Her womb's closed. It just, it doesn't happen. So God tells Elijah, go tell her that this time next year, your season's going to end of barrenness. And I'm going to open that womb and I'm going to give you your desires. So Elijah, with great excitement, runs to her and says, you won't believe what God told me. What? This time next year, it's all going to change. This time next year, you're going to be holding a son. This time next year, everything's going to be different. And all your desires are going to be given to you. You just have to wait. You just have to be patient. But I promise you, at this very moment, at this very time next year, everything's going to change. And you would think she would be filled with excitement because she knows this is the love. That everything that comes out of his mouth is true. Everything that he's prophesied has come to pass. He's a great man of God. Everything he says happens. And when he tells her this time next year, everything's going to change. She gets angry and she says and objects and says, no. Don't you mislead me. Don't you get my hopes up. Don't you tell me things are going to change. Don't you tell me things are going to be different. She didn't believe him. Because she settled. For what was supposed to be only a season. She declared would be the rest of her life. And some of us were in a season. But you've been in that season so long, you've accepted that now what's supposed to be a season will be the rest of your life. And she settled and said, things are never going to change. I've tried. I believed it once. 
But I've been in this position for so long. Why do I believe now God's going to do something? So this man of God tells her and encourages her, but it doesn't matter because she believes and has accepted that this is not a season, this is permanent. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, there are some people in our church that have accepted what was supposed to be a season as a permanent way of life. And it doesn't matter what I say to you. It doesn't matter what I preach to you. I can tell you God's going to bless you. I can tell you your season's going to come to an end. I can tell you the harvest is coming. I can tell you God's going to give you all the desires of your heart. I can tell you that God's going to heal you. I can tell you that God's going to bless you. I can tell you that there's a miracle on the way. But deep down inside, you feel like the same way as this woman. And you're saying, don't mislead me. Don't tell me this. I don't want to get my hopes up. So I'm just going to settle and accept that things aren't going to be different for me. I'm going to to settle that that I'm, I'm going to be single forever. So don't mislead me and tell me one day I'm going to meet someone. I'm going to settle that. I'm going to be sick forever. So don't mislead me and tell me I'm going to get healed. I'm going to settle for this position at my job. And don't you tell me that one day I'm going to move up to management. I'm going to settle. And don't you tell me that one day my child is going to come back to the Lord. I have accepted that they're never coming back to the church. Don't don't mislead me and tell me that my marriage is going to get better. I've accepted that we're on our way to divorce. Don't mislead me that God's going to change things because I've been in this position for far too long to be convinced that for some reason all of a sudden God's going to change it and I want to get a witness this morning because some of you here have accepted a permanent position in an area that God says is just a season life changes quick God said woman this time next year you don't know where you're going to be You don't know what I'm going to do for you. But see, this reminds me that God, no matter what you're facing with, no matter what circumstances you're in, when God says, and when God is ready to shift, when God is ready to change, nothing can stop Him. And He says, this time next year, if you would just be patient, If you will keep trying, if you will just wait, you're going to see that God is going to come through and he's going to shift things. He's going to transition you. He's going to change things. So don't you let the devil tell you this is it. One year can change everything. One day can change everything. One second of the word of God can change any circumstance you've been in. God says to this woman, in a little while, there's a shift going to happen. A year later comes. And she's holding a son. 
And she's looking at that baby boy and she, well, he's an adult by now, but for her, he's still a baby. You're always your mama's baby, right? Holding this baby, she says, this is God. This is God because there is no way this is possible. I believe that God's going to do something that you can only say it was God. And she's holding this baby. And she realized that what God promised passed. And now there's joy. There's laughter as as she's holding him and she's seeing him grow up and she's raising him and she's the woman she's always wanted to be. She's grateful that she was a wife. She's grateful she had a home. But now she's really grateful that God has given her her deepest desire and that was to be a mother. So she's raising this child. She's sitting down in the porch watching him run around. She's just thinking, I can't believe, God, you did this for me. God, I can't believe you blessed me this way. She's trying to figure out how to this even happen? This is a miracle. Doctors told me I couldn't give birth. Doctors told me I couldn't get pregnant. And she's watching him grow and grow and grow. And she's loving being a mother. She's loving motherhood. She's raising him. She's tucking him in. She's reading him stories. One morning she gets up. She's making him breakfast with a smile. And she says, I love being a mom. He goes out with dad. He's helping dad work. And all of a sudden they bring him to her. And he says, he has a headache. Oh, that's fine. Just give him to me. He's laying on her lap because sometimes you just need to lay on your mother's lap. There's something about a mom that you just feel better. The world is falling apart, but you're just sitting with mom and everything goes away. They give her to her mama. Mama's holding him. It's just a headache. And all of a sudden, he's not moving. He's not breathing. Wake up, son. Son, wake up. And he's lifeless. And she's thinking, God, why would you take this away from me? You blessed me. You gave me everything. And now you just take him. The Lord gives. The Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When he takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. How can I bless the name of God when he's caused me so much pain? He doesn't understand it. All of a sudden, he's back where she started. No child. Ever feel like you thought you were making progress, but then God just puts you back where you started? Am I preaching to myself today? Takes his lifeless body. Just walking upstairs. Pushes the door through. Lays him on Elijah's bed. 
The Bible says she, she shuts the door because she wants to make sure no one knows. And in that room, by herself, she's just crying. She's just hopeless. I believe that she's confused. Why give me a child and take him? I believe she's angry with God. You're so unfair to me. Why would you do? I never asked for this. She's desperate. And in that room, she's just miserable. She's crying. She's angry. She's confused. She's doubting. She's lost faith. She's looking at everything she's ever loved on that bed, gone, dead. And she's wondering, what do I do? And she leaves the room. But before she leaves the room, she has to do something that I believe is the worst thing you have to do. Verse 23. The Bible says... When she went to her husband, she said something profound. She said, it's all what? It's all right. That broke my heart. Because that means that she, she shut the door, she went in the room, she cried, she was angry, she was confused, she was doubting. But there came a pivotal moment, she got up, she opened the door, she closed the door, she looked downstairs and said, I gotta face the world, let me wipe the tears, let me put on the smile, let me straighten up, let me walk confident. And she walks downstairs and her husband says, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm okay. Everything's all right. It's just another day. Honey, are you okay? I'm fine. Her servants even asked, are you okay? I'm all right. You know what the worst thing about our world is? We have to keep things behind closed doors for fear that people find out that we're broken. So some of you got up this morning, you wiped up the tears, you put on the smile, you stood up straight, you held your Bible, you came to church, you're worshiping, you're smiling, you're hugging, you're laughing, you're saying, great God, glorious day, hallelujah, preacher, oh, amen, pastor, but no one really knows what's behind closed doors. And behind closed doors, no one knows you're going through a deep depression. And behind closed doors, no one knows you have an addiction. And behind closed doors, your marriage is falling apart. Behind closed doors, no one knows you have a rebellious child. Behind closed doors, no one knows you're on the verge of financial bankruptcy. Behind closed doors, everything is a mess. But you have programmed yourself to shut that door and put a smile on and tell the world everything's fine. I got to tell everyone I'm good. I'm going to post pictures on social media so that everyone knows I'm okay. I'm going to let people know through laughter and smiling and hugging that I'm okay. My life is great. My life is perfect. My faith is intact. But behind closed doors, if you knew me, you would know I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. Everything's falling apart. We get really good at shutting doors, don't we? We get real good at putting things aside and smiling and walking right. 
We get real good at posting pictures and being in church and laughing and going out and and pretending everything is fine. But behind your door, everything is falling apart. But she can't say that to her husband. She can't say that to her servants. She can't say it to her girlfriends. She has to just pretend. Everything's all right. I wish that you'd come to this church and say, Pastor, I'm not all right. I'm not going to judge you if you tell me you don't believe in God. I'm not going to look down at you if you tell me I don't feel your, you know, your sermons or I don't feel like worshiping. I'm not going to be disappointed if you tell me I'm far from God. I've lost my joy. I've lost my peace. I'd rather you come clean and honest. Lord, I'm not all right than to choose to live a life of pretending to be all right. Because as long as you pretend to be all right, that stuff's going to stay shut in your door and in your closet. And it's never going to get healed. And I believe today God wants to heal things you've put behind closed doors. And I know it's true because you're quiet. And you don't want me in your door. I get it. We get real good at shutting the door. And saying everything's all right. David got real good at this. David was the king of Israel for crying out loud. The king of Israel. A man after God's own heart. The one everyone looked up to for godliness. But behind closed doors, no one knew that his family was falling apart. Behind closed doors, they didn't know that his son raped his his daughter. He didn't know that his wife was miserable. He didn't know that his family. You would never think that David's life was falling apart and behind that palace door. Because David every morning had to get up and listen to the wisdom of all the people and be a king and be strong and give advice and give sacrifices and do godly things. But no one knew that behind his door there was adultery, there was murder, there was incest, there was rape, there was betrayal. There was all this agony, but no one ever knew. Samson got real good behind closed doors. This was Israel's hero. He was the one that was going to fight the Philistines. He was the one everyone looked up to. He was strong. He was spiritual. He was different. He was a testimony of the strength of God. But no one knew that behind closed doors, he was going to Gaza. Behind closed doors, he was sleeping around. Behind closed doors, he had a, a moral problem. No one ever knew that Moses, behind closed doors, wanted God to end his life. You saw Moses on the outside. He was writing commandments. He was praying to God. He was allowing God to use him to lead him, to lead the people of Israel. But no one knew that behind closed doors, Moses was miserable and depressed and telling God, Lord, please take my life. I can't do this anymore. I know it's a parable, but I believe behind closed doors, that man and the prodigal son, they had a perfect family. They were wealthy. Everyone looked up to him. But no one knew that behind closed doors, his son was gone. His son was living in immorality and sin. His son wasn't even home anymore. You thought the family was together, but no one ever knew that behind closed doors, my son just left me and he's in the world. You see, we get real good behind closed doors. We act like we're all right. We talk like we're all right. We walk like we're all right. But the truth is that behind closed doors, 
You're not all right. Verse 27. She goes downstairs. She wipes her face. She comes downstairs. She sees her husband. I'm all right. She sees her servants. I'm okay. I'm right. I'm all right. She sees her friends. I'm all right. Everyone is asking her, hey, how's your day? It's great. And inside she's like, if you only knew. Verse 27 of 2 Kings 4. Bible says, when she reached the man of God, this is Elijah. Elijah represents God. He's the voice of God, the ambassador of God. So when she reached the man of God, the Bible says she took hold of his feet. They tried to pull her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. All this time she's saying, I'm all right. But God allowed Elijah to see the real truth that she was bitter in distress. Can I tell you what the Lord showed me? She comes downstairs, she sees her husband, and she says, I'm all right. She sees her servant, she says, I'm all right. As she's riding along, everyone's asking her, and she says, I'm all right. But there's something that happened in this woman when she got to Elisha that she knew was a representation of God. There was something that she just got to him. She fell at her feet, and she says, I'm not all right. You see, there's a point, I understand, you need to be all right in front of your children. You need to be all right in front of your spouse, in front of your friends, your co-workers, the world. That's fine. But see, there comes a point in your life that you have to fall before the feet of Jesus and say, God, you know me. I am not all right. You got to be honest with God who already knows that you're bitter, that you're distressed because God says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. When you fall at the feet of Jesus, there's no pretending, there's no closed doors. You open up to him and say, help, I need help. I can't do this anymore, God. When she falls before God. See, there's something about this woman that when she feels the presence of God, she just falls. And she says, help me. She can't tell him, I'm all right, because Elijah can see right through her. And I'm here to tell you, there's no pretending with God. God sees through your smile. God sees behind the laughter. God is looking at you right now and he's saying, you're not all right. I know you you say you are. I know you post you are. I know you live like you are. But you're not all right. Stop pretending. I know you have to be strong for people. I know people are looking up to you. But I know that behind closed doors, 
You're bitter. You're distressed. And you're telling everyone you're all right. And that's all right. But it's not all right with me. When you come to Jesus, you fall at his feet. And you just have to say, Lord, help. I'm not all right. And Elijah said, let's go. You're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I'm tired of pretending I'm all right. But behind closed doors, there's things about me that I'm ashamed of. There's things I carry. There's burdens. There's distress. There's bitterness, addiction, unforgiveness, hidden sin. There's all these things behind closed doors. But let me tell you today, not only does God know what is behind your door, but God wants to get in it. The Bible says, In verse 32 and 33, Elijah goes in the room. He reached the house. There was the boy lying dead in his couch. He went in and he what? Shut the door. You know what happened here? The Bible says that Elijah saw what was happening. He knew what was happening. And I love God because this represents who God is. God knows what's behind your door. God knows what your secret is. God knows what you're ashamed of. God knows what you're hiding. God knows what has you bitter and distressed and feeling guilty and condemned and ashamed. God knows you're not all right. And not only does God know what's in there, the Bible says he went in. We serve a God that says, I want to get in. I want in your life. I want in your heart. I want in because I want to fix it. I want to change it. But you have to tell me where it is that you want me in. Let me in. After she falls at his feet, she says, you need to come in. And some of you stay where you're at because you don't let Jesus in. But the Bible says he went in and he shut the door. Because I believe this is a prophetic word. Once Jesus comes in, the door is shut. He'll never leave you. You are sealed with the Holy Ghost. So some of you think I can't let him in because he won't stay long. Once he comes in, he closes the door and says, it's you and me forever now. Elijah reached the house. There he was dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door. Two of them, and I love this. Pray to the Lord. Imagine... You walk in. You see a dead body. And you can do nothing about it. 
See, I want to ask you today, right now, what is it in your life you can do nothing about right now? You might be saying, Pat, there's nothing I can do about my health. Pastor, there's nothing I can do about my child. There's nothing I can do about my marriage. There's nothing I can do about my burden and addiction. There's nothing I can do. And if there's nothing you can do, there's always something you can do, and that's pray to God. He prayed to the Lord. He prays to God, and look at verse 33. As he reached the house and he began to pray. I love this because the Bible says, when Elijah reached the house, the boy was lying dead. He went and shut the door on two of them and prayed to the Lord. And I love what happened here. Elijah says in verse 35, Elijah turned away. He walked back and forth in the room. You see, he prayed, but it didn't happen right away. See, because we think that sometimes if I just pray to God, he has to answer instantly. But see, sometimes you pray, and it may seem like your prayers go unanswered. But no, God puts you on a waiting period. And notice the Bible says he began to walk back and forth. See, some of you, you've prayed about things, but it feels like you're just back and forth, back and forth, and nothing has happened. I'm feeling in my heart today, some of you, you're just walking back and forth, and God's done nothing. God's shown you nothing. God hasn't talked to you. God hasn't opened any doors. But you keep praying and praying and praying. But like Elijah, nothing happens, and you're just back and forth and back and forth. Show me your hands right now if I'm preaching to you, and you're saying, Pastor, that's me. I'm back and forth. I'm back and forth. I keep praying, but nothing keeps happening. I'm just back and forth. And Elijah walked back and he walked forth in the room. Then he got on the bed. One last time, he stretched out upon him once more. And the boy sneezed seven times. Imagine if a dead person sneezes seven times. I'd be out that door so quick. Elijah's just walking back and forth. Praying about it, nothing's changed. God, I keep asking you to heal this boy, nothing's changed. God, I have a woman downstairs believing that she's going to see her son again, and I don't want to disappoint her. God, this makes no sense. God, why do you have me going back and forth? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you answering my prayers? God, what are you doing? God, and God says, Elijah, why? One more time. I want to tell someone today, don't stop praying. If you feel like giving up, the Lord says, one more time. Keep praying. But he says, Elijah, I want you to lay on him. Stretch your hands and lay on him. Elijah just lays on him and all of a sudden, a weird thing happens. Boy sneezes. Elijah's looking for a sign of life. And in the Bible, when God raises the dead, they would come out the tomb. They would just get out of the coffin. They would just rise. And you would say, oh, he's alive for sure. But God chose a different method with this boy. God says, I want proof that he's alive. I'm going to make him sneeze seven times. He's dead. Elijah stretches on him. He says, nothing's happening. 
And all of a sudden, life. Why did God choose that method of sneezing seven times? Do you believe God does every miracle for a reason? There's a reason behind the sneeze. Want to know why? You ever sneezed before? There's no one in this world that says, I'm such a cute sneezer. I don't care how cute you think your sneeze is. Have you seen your face when you sneeze? A sneeze, this is what God is saying here. A sneeze starts off with discomfort, doesn't it? When you feel a sneeze come, you're like... (gasps) And then it builds up. And and you let it out. And all of a sudden, what happens? (sighs) You know what God's saying here? That's how I work in your life. This is what's happening here, Elijah. I know that right now, there's a lot of discomfort, and it's just ugly right now. But the time's going to come that you're going to feel relief. Your relief is coming. I know right now it's ugly. I know right now it's discomforting. I know right now, but I believe in my heart the Lord spoke to our church and says, it looks bad now, it looks uncomfortable now, but relief is coming. That's why God chose the sneeze. But then he chose it seven times. Because in the Hebrew, in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion and rest. That's why on the seventh day, God rested and said it was over. He was done. See, God says right now, I know it's uncomfortable, but relief is coming. And God chose to sneeze seven times because he's letting you know when that boy was dead, remember that child was a promised child. That promised child was told to his mom, you're going to have that. He was a promised child. But sometimes in our lives, it feels like the promises of God are dead. Does it not? When that boy was dead, that was a representation of the promise of God dead. But see, when that boy sneezed seven times, he was letting Elijah know, there's a purpose behind my madness. There's a purpose behind the pain. And I know it's discomforting right now, but like a sneeze, relief will come. It doesn't last forever. And the reason I've chosen the number seven, because Elijah, you have to remember what What I have started, I will complete. He who began a good work will finish it to completion. I don't care how dead it is. I don't care how it looks. God will finish what he started. That's why he says, boy, you're going to sneeze seven times. As we close, it's amazing. This boy, the Bible says, Elijah gave him back to his mom. See, I believe God's going to give back to you what you think you've lost forever. And I don't know who that is I'm talking to today, 
But God's going to bring it back for you. But God had to take it away for a season so that you would depend on him in a greater manner. I love this story because I said to myself, God, this story's not done yet. Because I want to know why you took him in the first place. Some of you say, well, why did God do this? Why did God do that in my life? Why doesn't God do this? You're asking God why. This is one of those stories that you're saying, why, God? Why did you give this woman this child and just take it away? It it makes no sense. I love it when the Lord gives, amen? But what about when the Lord takes away? And it makes no sense. But see, we serve an omniscient God who understands the beginning from the end, who knows what you're going to face before you face it and already has a solution before you're even in it. And what this woman didn't know was that in a short time, there would be a severe famine for seven years. This is in the Bible. For seven years, there would be a severe famine. She would lose everything. She would lose all her servants. She would lose her home. She would lose her finances. She would lose her business. She would be poor, homeless, completely gone. She didn't know it at the moment, but God saw the famine coming. So you know what God did? This woman had to go to the land of the Philistines and live there because the famine was that bad. Look at 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 3 through 6. At the end of the seven years, she, that's this woman, came back from the land of the Philistines. Now, I, I notice why she came back. The Bible says she went back to the king to what? To beg. Why? Because when you left your country, you left everything. It's like my parents and some of you here today. When they left Cuba, they lost it all. You lost your home, you lost your job, you lost everything, you left it all. So that this was a culture that said, if you are disloyal to us and you leave, we take everything and you're never going to get it back. And if you want it back, you have to be a slave. We have to take your children. You have to work for us forever. So this woman, she's on her way back, and she's trying to think, how am I going to survive? How are we going to live? I'm going to be a slave. My son's going to be a slave. We're going to never have a home. We've lost everything. And she's coming back wondering, confused, afraid. What's going to happen to me? Have you ever been in that place? You're in a place right now. You're saying, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. What am I going to do? How am I going to live? How am I going to eat? How am I going to survive? What if this happened? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? And she's picking picturing the worst case scenario she's going to die of hunger or worse she's going to be a slave she's going to be miserable and I don't understand why and she I'm just going to beg I'm going to be a beggar I'm just going to ask people for stuff I'm going to be in need I'm going to be empty but the Bible says he's never seen the children of God begging for bread you are not a beggar God says I'm getting ready to do something so the Bible says after the seven years she's walking back she's going to go beg She's lost everything. And in verse 4, look at how God is. The king, the, 
king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God. And he, the king all of a sudden, he doesn't know the woman's coming. But one day the king is just sitting there and he says, Yohazi, that's not his name, Gehazi, tell me a story. I'm bored. Tell me a story about God and what you've seen. Tell me about all the great things God has done through Elijah. Of all the things that he could have said, man, Elijah, you know, once upon a time he prayed and rained down fire and killed hundreds of prophets. It was crazy. Oh, one day Elijah went through the Jordan River and it split open. One, you know, one day this happened, one day that happened. I was, no, you know what story he decided to tell? Hazi said, he was telling the king how Elijah restored the dead to life. The woman son Elijah had brought back to life. He said, hey, you know, one day there was this woman who was promised a child. She got the child. God took the child away. But then Elijah went to the room and he raised him back from the dead. And the king was like, what? Crazy. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I was there. I saw it. That boy was dead. But Elijah just prayed and, and laid on him. And the boy raised from the dead and, and brought him back to his mama. And it was crazy. Look at God's timing. His perfect timing. Gehazi said this as she walks in to go back to the king. Please give me my house back. Please give me my business. Please, I don't want to be a beggar. I don't want to be a slave. And as she's walking, Gehazi's like, what are the odds? That as I'm telling you this testimony, she's right there. After seven years, she just walks in. And this woman, my Lord, she said, this is the woman I'm telling you about. This is the one that said everything's all right, but she really wasn't. This is the one whose son was dead years ago and was raised. This is her son. Him, he's the one that was dead and Elijah restored him. And in verse 6, the king asked the woman about it. Is this true? She's like, yes. God raised my son from the dead. And the king said, I've never heard such a testimony. And, and he looks to his officials and he does something against culture, against society. This has never happened before. This defined the odds. This was impossible. But the king said to his official, he assigned an official to her case. And he said to him, give back Everything that belongs to her. Including all the income from her land from the day she left 
She said, this king said, oh my God, I feel this in my spirit. God said, not only am I going to give you back what you've lost, I'm going to give you more than you deserve. I'm going to give you more. Oh, you thought you were going to be a beggar. You thought it was over. You were walking back with your pity party. Oh, I'm going to be a beggar. My life is terrible. But you had no idea, woman, what was waiting for you. That's why I had to take him from you. That's why I had to kill him and raise him again. You didn't understand that seven years ago. But see, seven years ago, I was way ahead of you. And I saw the famine. I knew you would lose everything. And this testimony will be the testimony that will bring back your restoration and everything and then some. That's why you can't sit here and say, why God? I don't understand it, God. You got to stop this beggar mentality. God's going to get ready to restore everything you've lost. And he's going to give you more than you deserved. But you have to trust See, as I read this, I realized the Lord, the Holy Spirit gave me two words that will give me peace for the rest of my life. Do you want these two words? Two words. And it's why my sermon is called The Two Before the Four. Y'all thought it was a number, right? It's not a number. The two before the four. You're asking yourself, why is God doing this to me? Why has God done this to me? Why are you doing this to my marriage? Why are you doing this to my family? Why are you doing this to my church? Why are you doing this to my future? Why are you doing this to my health? But see, God doesn't do things to you. He does it for you. And that's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The devil wants to you think it was to you. But see, what has happened to you in God's eyes is actually working for you. But before you can get to the four of God, you have to survive the two. There's a season of two. There's a season that everything is happening to you. Everything that can go wrong is happening to you. But if you can just see it different, if you can just say, oh, God, this is not happening to me, but for me. Wherever you're at, traffic, Walmart, cancer, death, God, this ain't happening to me. It's happening for me. That's why Paul maintained a level of peace through persecution beating and rejection in jail because God says in Romans 8.31 we read it all wrong why do we read the Bible so wrong what then shall we say in response to all of this what's the this he's talking about the jail the beating the rejection facing death the mocking the chains the whips the beatings the rejection all of it what shall we say of all of this? What will you say? God is unfair. I don't know what God's doing. Why is this happening to me? I'm so depressed. I can't do this anymore, God. God, kill me now. What will you say? 
And Paul maintained a peace because he learned the key to how God works. What is happening to me is actually for me. If God is what? For us. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Verse 28 of that same passage. God said, and we know that in all things, God works what? For the good of those who love him. Who are called according to his purpose. I realized there, I said, God, if I can accept this as truth and put it in my life, I realized that nothing in my life happened to me. Nothing. No sickness, rejection, divorce, pain, loneliness. Nothing has happened to me. Nothing's happened to you. Oh, but Pastor, a lot has happened to me. Nothing's happened to you. No, but I was diagnosed with cancer and my child died and I lost my job and my family left me and this and that. A lot has happened to me. If you're a child of God, nothing has happened to you because God has taken what has happened to you and turned it for you to bring about a divine purpose. So this woman couldn't understand why this happened to her. Why did the son have to die? Why did I have to go through this famine? Why did I have to go through all of this? But she looked back and realized one thing. Oh my goodness. I thought it was happening to me, but it was actually for me. God, you have blessed me beyond my belief. Oh, Joseph, I know you're in the pit now. I know a lot has happened to you. They're accusing, you know, you're like, they're accusing you of rape. They're accusing you and you're in jail and all this has happened to you. But if you realize, Joseph, I'm doing this for you, you would sit there and worship me. Oh, Job, I I know that a lot has happened to you. You've lost your family. You've lost your business. You've lost your health. But Job, if you realize that this is not happening to you, but it's happening for you, you would sit here and you would take those ashes off your face and you would just worship me now. Stop thinking that all these things are happening to you and change your vocabulary and say, Lord, thank you because I know though this is happening to me is actually working for me. The two comes before the four. And when the four comes, the purpose comes and you're going to walk in God's divine appointment. This all stands to our feet today. What's happening to our church? Nothing. Nothing. Say it. Nothing. It's for us. I'm not done yet. Come on, devil. (laughs) Let's all brace this altar. Come on, all of us, to the altar. If there's something you want to let go before God, you're saying, God, I'm going to surrender this to you so they can work for me. Come on now. We're a church family. You pray today to God. You spend time with God right now. With every head bow, every eye closed today. You got to leave, you leave. I'm praying with my church right now. I want you to think about your life right now. 
I want you to think of everything that has happened to you. Everything that has hurt you. Everything that has caused you great pain. Everything that was unfair. Everything you've lost. Everything you've suffered. You say, God, why did this happen to me? And I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus, you better denounce that. God does nothing to you. He does it for you. He's omniscient. He's ahead. Making a way. Oh, you think you're on your way to beg. You think you're on your way to poverty. You think you're on your way to brokenness. You think you're on your way to emptiness. You think it's over. But if you only knew, not only am I going to restore the years the locusts have taken, not only am I going to bring back to you what you've lost, I'm going to add to you blessings you don't even deserve, you didn't even work for. I'm going to put you in a position you never imagined. I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven because you're going to realize that what the devil tried to do to you, I turned for you. What those people did to you, I turned for you. Because I am a God who is for you. And if God is for you, who dares be against you? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare over this church right now, all these things for 10 years that has happened to us is actually for us. We are not done. It is not over. This is the beginning of the harvest. You're going to bring forth a blessing. There's been seven years of famine. There's been emptiness. There's been discouragement. There's been great difficulty. But Lord, you are the king of all kings. And if you can allow this woman to be blessed beyond measure, you will bless us beyond measure as a church. You're going to open doors for us. The world is going to see and declare that what has happened to us has actually happened for us. We're going to crush this devil who's tried to stop me for years. We're going to see God work miracles. And in your life right now, don't you give up on any dream. Don't you stop praying. It may look like the promises of God are over, but this is just the beginning. God is going to bring a breakthrough and restoration to your life. I know right now it looks hopeless, but we serve a God of seven. We serve a God of completion. We serve a God that says it is finished when I say it's finished. And he who began a good work will finish it according to his purpose. So I have no right to say it's over. You have no right to say it's over. Not even the devil can say it's over. It is only over when God says it's over. So Heavenly Father, we surrender to you. We give it all to you right now, Jesus. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you would give us a heart to understand you are for us. This is just a season. The devil has convinced us it's permanent, but we are on our way to greatness. We are on our way to victory. So in Jesus' name, raise the dead. Any dead hope, any dead dreams, any dead promises, any werewolf child, any disease right now, any sickness, any depression must go. In the name of Jesus, there's a great resurrection happening and God is not done. You give it up to him and let's worship one last time. In Jesus' name, come on. You worship him right now. You worship him right now.